Hi, I'm Victor Agreta, and today on Coders, we're going to be looking at developing for the Apple Watch and a wrap-up of what's been happening at Microsoft Build right after this. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Comscope, thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your. Hi, I'm Victor Agreta Jr., and you are watching Coders here on RCR TV. Today, we're going to be talking about a couple of things that are just huge. There have actually been a lot of things happen this week. We started off with an Apple Watch. Delivery dates, uh, people were getting their Apple Watches over the weekend, people have been playing with them, people have been trying out all these apps, there's a couple of thousand apps right now. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that, we're going to be talking about Microsoft Build, uh, but first let's look at Apple's earnings. And this was an interesting story, we had Apple's Q2 earnings. That's quite a bit. But iPad sales declined for the fifth quarter. So the question is, is Apple an iPhone-only company now? But actually, Macs were up a little bit. And revenue growth in China is around 70% quarter to quarter. So we're or actually year over year in the same quarter. So what we're looking at is an explosive growth in China right now, which bodes very well for the hardware and software company as they expand into what is a, traditionally a fairly tough market. But right now we wanna start talking about the Apple Watch. That's the big hardware news of this quarter. And Apple Watch just started shipping out to people this past week. Some people have uh, finally gotten a chance to play with them. And one of the developers of an Apple Watch app is our guest today, Brian uh, Mueller, developer of Carrot Apps, actually. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so. Carrot is, I, I personally am a big fan of Carrot. You know, we, I met you the first time when you came out with, I think it was the Carrot To Do app, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so for those of you who don't know, Carrot is a very interesting app in that, you know, it takes To Do, it takes Weather, now there's Health, there's, there's several different of these Carrot apps, and it injects a lot of personality. And it, they're really fun apps. And actually, Brian's background is in storytelling and writing. And so he brought that, you know, that mindset to bear in writing apps. So it's very interesting to see you grow this business as a developer and as a storyteller and then move over to the watch. So tell me a little bit, first of all, like, how did you get started with the watch? What tools do you use to actually create Apple Watch apps? Sure. Uh, well, it's just like building uh, iPhone and iPad apps, really, you uh, use Xcode, which is Apple's uh, development tool, and you're programming everything in Objective-C or Swift, just like with iPhone and iPad apps. Uh, so it's actually very similar. Uh, it's not that hard to get into it and get started if you're already familiar with programming for the rest of the iOS ecosystem. Yeah, one of the things that we had talked about on an earlier show is that I thought was really cool was uh, you can use Swift to develop an Apple Watch app, right? Right. And you can actually use Swift on your Apple Watch app and regular Objective-C in the, the iPhone or iPad app. Uh, they're very interchangeable. Which is really amazing. 
Um, and again, Apple continues to kind of push the envelope here. But one question is, of course, you know, supply chain management is a thing. And right now they have people who are waiting possibly until summer, although I have a feeling they're going to get those a little bit earlier. We had a Taptic Engine uh, issue, so that had some slowdowns in supply. So not everybody who wants an Apple Watch right now can get an Apple Watch. You can't walk into a store and walk out with an Apple Watch. So what are some things to think about if you're developing Apple Watch apps, but you don't have the hardware? Well, if you don't have the hardware, that definitely makes it a lot more complicated to develop because otherwise you'd have to be developing directly on your Mac using the simulator. And the simulator, uh, Apple tried to get it as much like the actual hardware as they possibly could, but there are certain things that they just can't uh, do with the simulator. Um, so the simulator is going to act faster than the actual watch in some cases. And uh, it, the simulator is a lot larger on your Mac screen than it is in reality. It's uh, two to three times the size. So stuff that looks fine in design-wise on the simulator, uh, on the actual watch, the, the buttons might be too small or the text might be too hard to read. So it is really important to get that hardware and test on it. Uh, there's actually a, uh, uh, an app called, I think it's called Watch Sim, that lets you uh, share your device, your Mac screen over to your iPhone. And this, so the simulator screen will show up on your iOS device in the size, the actual size of the Apple Watch. So that actually helped me a lot in developing and designing to make sure that the sizes of the text and the buttons and everything like that actually looked right on, on a real device without actually having the device in hand. You know, one of the things that was interesting about iPad development with developers that I spoke to was you had the simulator and of course you could you know say, here's the screen size and Apple continues to push that envelope in terms of, you know, maybe you can do all kinds of different screen sizes, right? And we've been accustomed to that as we've seen the size of the iPhone grow and we've seen the iPad, uh, you know, grow a little bit as well in some ways. Right. But what's interesting is that uh, really what people did was they, they had to hold it in their hands and understand the sort of contextual use that these things are put in because Apple doesn't just make devices, they make these sort of lifestyle uh, additions, right? I mean, it's not something that you say, well, this is, I'm going to go boot up the computer and work on it. It's like, no, my iPad's right here. I reach over, I push a button, it's on. And to get that sort of feeling, it's really one of those things that you have to experience hands-on, right? Right. It's fascinating because if you were around and using the iPad when it first launched, the apps that came out on day one are, they're completely different now. And it's going to be very interesting to see the same thing happen with WatchKit and the Apple Watch. Uh, it's just crazy to think that all of these 3,000 plus apps that, that were available on day one, they're going to be completely different in a year or two, two years from now. Yeah, it's, it's funny to go back and look at the iPad even and the iPhone apps that were available, right? You know, so many of them, I remember one of the biggest hits was just a port of a game that used to come free on like the G3 IMAX, uh, Chromag Racer, you know, which was a classic, basically a classic Mac game that came out day one on the iPhone, but it was beautiful and it worked so great. Uh, and I think that's one of the things too, is that Apple, 
I would say it does a great job of giving developers the tools they need to at least start to create these things. And then over time, as they iterate, the, they, they just get better and better, right? Right, as the SDK becomes more powerful and as developers learn how to develop uh, watch apps, it's just going to be like night and day from today and, and the future. And you know, one of the things too that I think people forget about Apple is that because they seem monolithic and they and they seem to sort of like hand things down on high, but the fact is is that once you get this out into production and people start filing radars, you're going to see this thing get better and better and better because there's just no substitute for throwing it out to a bunch of developers and telling us, hey, what's wrong with this? What? How can we do better? How can we make it better? Right? Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, however many people Apple has testing these. Uh, before it actually launched, once you get it out to hundreds of thousands or millions of people, that's going to be completely different from their testing environments. So uh, a quick question. Do you use a combination of Swift and Objective-C, or are you still mostly Objective-C guy? I'm just uh, Objective-C right now. How are you I'm liking Swift? playing a wait-and-see game, and I'm just too lazy to try and learn a completely new language. Well, I can understand that. Um, speaking of which, uh, you know, in, in building all of these things, like I said, you're not a, a traditional developer. We call you the non-traditional, like a non-traditional student, right? So you right. came from a writing background. Um, I'm interested in if, if you've discovered any specific challenges uh, that developers should know about when developing watch apps. Uh, well, a lot of the stuff that I uh, had to deal with was making the, the watch app feel responsive and make it feel like it, it is loading the data quickly. And just because of the, the processor limitations and the limitations of communicating uh, everything from the watch app has to be communicated to the iPhone and then the iPhone has to respond back to the watch. So there's definitely some struggles you have to deal with uh, to get that, that synchronization feeling right and, and making the data come back and display as quickly as possible. And so you definitely want to do a lot of testing around that. And it actually ended up helping a lot with the watch app because of the limitations of sending an image back from the iPhone. I had to end up putting in some animate, some placeholder animations for the graphics. So in the Carrot Weather Watch app, there are two graphs, one for the, the uh, precipitation amount if it's raining, and another for an hourly graph for the next 24 hours. And so what I had to end up doing, because those images weren't ready to display right away, they, they would take like anywhere from one to three seconds to come across. Uh, so what I ended up doing was adding a, like a rainfall animation in, as a placeholder for the rain graph, for the precipitation graph. And what that ended up doing was making it much more clear that that's what that graph is. So it actually made the app a lot better. Uh, and that's what I find a lot of times when I run into to these uh, roadblocks that they once I take the time to uh, think around them, they end up making the app much better uh, because of the creative solutions that I'm able to find. That is interesting. And that, that, that could be a whole other conversation because I know in filmmaking, it's a similar thing where I, I saw one time a survey of like 100 directors who said, if you had unlimited budget, unlimited casting, 
what kind of film would you make? And almost all of them said I would creatively lock up because that I need constraints. I have to have the constraints to be able to tell me, right? Uh, and, and, you know, great thing, serendipity comes out of those constraints sometimes. You mentioned the watch and phone communicating, and I know that there is that loop that Apple puts in there. How exactly do they communicate? It's, it's a Bluetooth, right? Yeah, they communicate via Bluetooth, and there's a couple different ways that you, that the watch app and the phone app can communicate. So from the watch app, you can request the iPhone app to open and perform a series of calculations or generate an image or get the location or fetch data from a web server. And uh, those last two things are obviously very important for a weather app. Uh, and then there are different ways for the, uh, the iPhone app to communicate back to the watch app uh, using uh, Darwin notifications and saving stuff to a, a shared app group. And so those are all very important to learn and get a handle on, uh, especially if you're displaying uh, data that should be in sync between the two devices. You know, it's interesting that so many of the protocols that were developed many, many years ago are still in use today. So you, you talked about Darwin and, you know, I'm, I'm having flashbacks, whereas it's like this stuff is, is still the underpinnings of so much technology that we use today. And again, I think that network folks and carriers understand that they've got a lot of legacy stuff, but these things aren't broken. So there's no there's no need to fix that, you know. Um, it works it works just fine. But speaking of which, you know, this is version one. So we can expect a version two and a version three, maybe not annually, but you know, we'll see what Apple does in terms of the product cycle here. Um, where, do you, where do you see it going from here? Well, a lot of developers uh, just talking on, on Twitter uh, expect that the WWDC coming up in June, Apple is going to announce a native SDK for the watch so that the apps, instead of running on the iPhone and sending everything over to the watch, they'll be able to run natively on the watch and as a result, be much more responsive. Um, I'm not sure if that's actually gonna happen with WWDC or if it's gonna happen later this year. I think last year, Apple said that, that a native SDK is coming sometime this year. So I, I think they did commit to that, um, but it's just not clear if it's going to happen with WWDC. So that would definitely be very exciting uh, once that comes because apps will obviously be able to be a lot more responsive for one, but the other is they'll be able to do a lot more if, if they are able to run natively. Um, right now, you can't do anything with gestures or, or multi-touch or anything like that. Um, you can't make the, the haptic uh, engine tap you automatically through through the watch you can't read heartbeat sensor or the the step count so once they get us that native sdk the, the apps will open up to a much greater degree than they have right now and it's important for people to keep that in mind because again I, i've always told people that what apple does is they it's like fly fishing they cast a line way out and then they pull it very very tight and then they start to reel things in, right? And, mm -hmm. and so it's that, that's how they stay innovative and that's how they stay ahead of the curve is they pitch so far out. And then you developers, you work your butts off to meet that challenge knowing 
that they're going to add processing power. They're going to add speed. They're going to add a lot of other things that are going to give you guys more power. So when you're positioned already to have an app and you've done it the old way, now when the new way comes along, you're in a great spot, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Apple can only do so much with, with the uh, first version and with each subsequent version. They really want to make it so that what they do put out works great and is a good solution. And they don't want to throw every single conceivable thing into one version and have it not work great or have it not well thought out. So I, I think that's definitely uh, something to keep in mind for why all these features aren't in, in the first version. Oh, absolutely. Well, I didn't hear anyone complain that, uh, that there was no micro SD card slot. So <laughs> I think they're on a good track here. Um, well, again, I want to thank you, Brian Mueller, for joining us. Uh, your, your carrot watch, or carrot apps, I should say, are in the store. They're available for iPhone, and now you have several for the watch. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And where, where can people find you? What uh, website? Uh, it's meetcarrot.com. Meetcarrot.com. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. Okay. Next up, we are going to be talking about Microsoft Build which was, of course, uh, Microsoft's big developer conference, developers, 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 and build this year was absolutely huge. As many of you may know, we are waiting on Windows 10 sometime this year, and Windows 10 got another preview uh, that came out. So some highlights of the keynote. Windows 10 is uh, continues to march towards a release at the end of the year, and some other people, uh, or some people got more of a preview today. Um, they also hope that Windows 10 will be on a billion devices within three years, which is a high aspiration for a company that's had a bit of a problem getting users to migrate to new versions of its operating system. Uh, if you've ever been in some offices, you may have actually still seen Windows XP. I think I just saw someone using Windows XP the other day. It was a little disconcerting, but that is something that uh, Windows is going to have a problem with is the legacy stuff. So they're really pushing, diff, uh, really pushing people to move to Windows 10. In fact, so hard that this year, if you upgrade from Windows 7 or Windows 8, Windows 10 is actually free. So I don't have any pricing information after that, but they are definitely determined to try to get as many people on Windows 10 as humanly possible. Up next, Project Spartan's real name was introduced and say hello to Microsoft Edge, the completely reworked web browser. Uh, developers probably already knew what this was going to be called because the rendering engine inside of Microsoft Edge was called Edge HTML. So we're looking forward to seeing Microsoft Edge, although I have to say that the logo that they introduced, as much as they want to distance themselves from Internet Explorer, it looks a lot like Internet Explorer. So that was a little bit weird. But uh, we all know Microsoft is not necessarily the pinnacle of design, right? Uh, Microsoft will keep Explorer around, though, due to heavy use in business and its enterprise customers. But Edge is going to be the new minimalist browser that ships as a default browser in Windows 10. Um, Edge does have a number of innovations, including pages you can draw on, you can share them, uh, Cortana support. There's a reading list, sort of like um, Apple's Safari reading list. So a lot of great stuff, actually. I've played around with it. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, and it, it really is going to give someone like something like Chrome a run for its money. So we'll see how that works out in the browser wars because Microsoft, as you all know, has been slipping somewhat in that area uh, in terms of market share. 
Also announced was an interesting thing, a lock screen for Windows 10 that personalizes based on Bing searches and based on some Bing information. But what was really interesting was that some people noted that there might be advertising coming to your Windows lock screen. So we'll keep an eye on that. Also, I think probably the most tantalizing demo in terms of just overall wow factor was the HoloLens. The HoloLens got some incredible demos, including a small robot that came out and uh, a map, a globe, a video that you could move around on walls. The videos were just absolutely amazing. And there was a product video that showed the internals of the HoloLens and all the things they do to keep the thing comfortable on your head, which of course is something that people have to contend with if you've ever worn an Oculus for more than about 20 or 30 minutes. So one of the things that they showed because this is a developer conference was how easy it will be to create apps. And speaking of easy to create apps, our last guest might be interested in this. Some incredible news out of Build. I never thought I would live to see this day, but um, they are opening up the uh, Visual Studio SDK to Mac and Linux users. I'm actually going to uh, tease you with that for just a second. First, I'm going to come back to a, a couple of other amazing things. Office is now a platform. In an onstage demo, thanks to Microsoft Platforms and Outlook, the demo shows how a user can call in an Uber ride via his iOS device using a calendar appointment from Outlook on his iPhone. Let me wrap, wrap your mind around that again. They're pulling in Uber through Outlook on an iPhone. It's crazy stuff because Microsoft wants to be the platform provider. They want to be that backend. They want to be that support, right? And this is part of Microsoft's strategy to extend beyond an operating system and business software vendor, more of a platform provider, specifically in today's bring-your-own-device fragmented world. So how do you keep people in the Microsoft you know, world? Well, Continuum, sort of like Apple's handoff, Continuum for devices in Windows 10, also shown, will allow your Windows smartphone or tablet to adjust to larger screen sizes. Now, we saw a little bit of this a while back in the preview, but this is really interesting because this brings the promise of code once deploy anywhere into reality. This is something that Microsoft's been talking about. I remember at the XNA, they wanted people to be able to code for PC and for Xbox. Well, now guess what, guys? You can. You can make universal apps that run on Windows phones, on tablets, on PCs, and even the Xbox using these things. And things like Continuum will allow you to readjust the screen sizes based on whatever context you're in. So Microsoft's really interested in making your handheld work like a desktop and your desktop be able to carry around in your pocket. Um, it's a little bit of a different take from what Apple's doing, but it's still very interesting. There's also a way to run web apps in Windows 10 as native apps, but like I said, the really intriguing thing was a follow-up on the, the rumors that uh, Microsoft was going to emulate Android apps, and it turns out that something much, much bigger is happening. Uh, instead, Microsoft is av making available Visual Studio that runs on Macs, of course PCs, and Linux that allow developers to transition their apps to Windows 10. Now again, that's Windows 10 on PC, on in your handheld. Um, specifically, Android developers using C++ and Java will be able to use Visual Studio on Linux if they want and compile for Windows 10. Now there's a little bit of work that goes into this. Of course, you can't just hit one button and it does that, but this is a pretty major thing. Also, Mac users can leverage their existing Objective-C code. 
they had a nice little poke at Apple during the keynote, as a matter of fact, where they said, oh, look, it highlights all the wackiness in Objective-C. And I think people who use Objective-C admit there's some wackiness in there. But it was funny to see Microsoft showing this stuff on a Mac, showing Outlook on iOS. You know, they understand that this is a fragmented world that they live in. What are they going to do to address this? Well, giving developers who create iOS apps the ability to as easily as humanly possible port those apps over to Windows, well, we're going to have to see what happens, right? We'll see if the market for Windows devices expands in the handheld area because it's been fairly sluggish right now. Uh, I thought it was really good that Microsoft is doing this. This is going to open them up to a lot of innovation, I think. And in an interview with The Verge, Microsoft's Terry Meyerson explained, at times we've thought, let's just do iOS. But when we think of Windows, we really think of everyone on the planet. There's countries where iOS devices aren't available. So the idea here is going after Android, going after iOS, and not necessarily going in to dominate the market or to take over the market, but to play in a more even playing field and also to give people uh, a little bit better idea of, you know, if you want to make a buying decision and you're already a Windows shop, now you don't have to worry about that critical app that wasn't on Windows Phone, right? Now you can actually take this app and you can use it because the, this other person, this developer for iOS who said he'd never make that Windows app, now he's able to pull it in and very easily port his Apple app, his iPhone app over to Windows. That is absolutely huge because as you guys know, iPhone is pretty much top of the heap when it comes to the app store. So the question, the real million dollar question is going to be, how many of these apps are going to take advantage of this and how many Mac developers will take advantage of this? So in the coming weeks, I'm gonna find some Apple developers who are looking at porting their apps over to Windows and we'll talk to them and we'll see how that's been. Until then, uh, Stay tuned to RCR TV. Uh, next week, I'm actually going to be in Washington, D.C., and I'm going to be talking to some people about government policy and how it relates to telecoms and how it relates also to software because Ultron opened this weekend, and we're looking at artificial intelligence and a lot of things that government is looking at right now to say maybe we should keep an eye on these things uh, after Elon Musk and others have sounded the alarm about artificial intelligence. So I'll be in D.C. next week reporting from there. Until then, I'm Victor Agreta Jr., and you have been watching Coders here on RCR TV. Thanks for watching. Coders is a production of RCR TV News. To reach Victor Agreta Jr. or to suggest a show topic for Coders, you can reach him on Twitter at SuperPixels. For all the latest news on wireless code and the whole world of wireless, check out rcrwireless.com.